quick intro. So I'm recording this on December 11th. The current book that I'm reading is David Goggins, Never Finished. And it's definitely like the first book in that it's one of those that just reminds me. I've never trained hard in my life, especially in comparison to the workouts that he describes. I like the structure of it. It's basically each chapter alternates. One of them is more of a narrative about his life growing up, more of a memoir. And then that's followed with the lesson of how this can be applied, this principle can be applied. And then all of it follows the theme that discipline is sort of everything. I've talked plenty about hard work versus working smart or luck versus hard work. At the end of all of that, I think what it comes to is that it is both to different degrees. There's always going to be some amount of luck and timing, and there's always going to be some amount of hard work involved. That said, hard work is the one that has a dial, and that's the one that is more in your control. Even when people say you make your own luck, it's usually followed by you have to work hard to make your own luck, and then it comes back to working hard. Some people do start out on third base, some on second, some on first, and then it's hard work from there. There are good reasons at, I think, the macro level to improve that and level the playing fields so that people aren't stuck in the batter's box striking out just because of the circumstance that they were born into. On an individual level, especially with fitness, it could be good to just ignore the bases altogether and get to work. Am I talking or is this David Goggins talking? <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll move on to the psychology of fitness. I think last you heard from me, I was talking about my foot hurting and that I also had the Peloton and it's a week later now that I'm recording. My foot's feeling better. Been working out, been cleaning up the garage and I've added lights. It's feeling much more comfortable in there. And I don't know that making the gym in the garage a comfortable place is exactly what Goggins want. He would probably want it to be a harder place and a place that is torturous and all of that because that will strengthen me more. Anyway, the psychology of fitness, I'm going to do numbers 16, 17, and 18. You and me, number 17, the seduction of pessimism, and number 18, when you'll believe anything. So number 16, you and me, from the psychology of money, Morgan Housel says, beware taking financial cues from people playing a different game than you are. And in this section, he says, when investors have different goals and time horizons, and they do in every asset class, prices that look ridiculous to one person can make sense to another because the factors those investors pay attention to are different. Take the dot-com bubble in the 1990s. People can look at Yahoo stock in 1999 and say, that was crazy, a zillion times revenue. The valuation makes no sense. But many investors who owned Yahoo stock in 1999 had time horizons so short that it made sense for them to pay a ridiculous price. That's the end of the quote. And is this idea that long-term investors have different goals, different tactic strategies than day traders. And how it applies to fitness, it is the idea of who you get your information from, who you're working out with, what your goals are, the goals for all of these different people that are influencing your views on fitness are different. And I've mentioned in the previous episode, but it is still kind of in the news, in the kind of like fitness world, I guess, is the liver king and a lot of talk about steroids and the role that steroids play and whether people 
who take them should be transparent about it. And it does seem like there's not really a clear answer. A lot of people have talked about The Rock, who has said that he tried them when he was younger and then hasn't touched them since because they didn't give him the effects that he needed. A lot of people don't believe this, but then it would be this sort of thought experiment of if he said, okay, I, I have been using them, then, and even if he says, look, but you shouldn't, I had specific reasons to do it. I needed to recover from wrestling and that sort of thing. E- even if he says, don't do it, there are just way too many people that would, that look up to him that say, well, he did it. He's okay. He's great. Look at all he's accomplished. And then they'll start doing it without taking care of the fundamentals first. And it is that thing of he's playing a different game. He's an entertainer first. So if you compare him to other people in Hollywood, it seems to be this known thing that, yeah, uh, TRT, steroids, and all of this are things people take to play roles as action heroes and to keep up with the rest of the industry. But then if you start to take that and apply that to something like MMA, where Mark Hunt had very reasonable beef with the UFC about drug testing, because it is this idea that you're going in fair and square with someone else and the consequences are pretty terrible to lose that you get knocked out. There's long-term health issues from fighting for decades. And it would suck to find out that you weren't actually playing on a level playing field. And then with the Liver King, it was this thing where you're selling not only dreams, but supplements to people who look up to you because they think that you're exactly the opposite of what you really are. And so this is where back to this idea of you and me, beware of taking financial cues from people playing a different game than you are. It can be dangerous to take fitness cues from people who are playing a different game than you are, especially when you can't recognize that they're playing a different game. On a non-steroid level, this is also the idea of when you're just getting started out, you do need to progress up even to what is, say, like a light day for an elite athlete or even a normal day for someone that has been working out for a year. That's going to be different than someone who is on day one. Another example I had is that I just have tried a lot of different programs for, you know, one, two weeks, maybe maybe a month at most. And I think I didn't have this awareness of people playing a different game. And yeah, some of it is just like, oh, I, I just didn't try hard enough. I wasn't disciplined enough. But I do remember me and my brother really loved this LL Cool J fitness book. And the workouts were pretty nuts with very little recovery from what I remember. And I think books have become much better uh, in the past couple decades about the importance of progressing up and being able to scale things up or down, depending on what level of fitness you're at. Number 17, the seduction of pessimism. From the psychology of money, Morgan Housel says the seduction of pessimism. Optimism sounds like a sales pitch. Pessimism sounds like someone trying to help you. He opens with this quote from historian Deirdre McCloskey, who says, for reasons I have never understood, people like to hear that the world is going to hell. Then he opens with, optimism is the best bet for most people because the world tends to get better for most people most of the time. But pessimism holds a special place in our hearts. Pessimism isn't just more common than optimism. It also sounds smarter. It's intellectually captivating and it's paid more attention than optimism, which is often viewed as being oblivious 
to risk. That's the end of the quote. And how this applies in fitness is that we do love pessimism, but it is a reversal in the reality where things are often improving in a lot of ways in the world. But for fitness, as you get older, by default, you're going to be less performant. It's going to be harder to build muscle and your cardio gets worse and you sort of need to fight that. On the other hand, optimism is good. It's useful to know that you can make changes now that will improve things going forward. The mistake would be to think that the default is that things are going to get worse, then throw your hands up and completely let yourself go and not worry about these things at all. The other extreme of that is becoming obsessive and thinking things are going to get worse and only thing that I need to do is work out and then weigh my food and track it obsessively and find a joyless path to good health. So remember, yes, your body's declining, but there's tons that you can do about it. And that's something to be optimistic about. Number 18, when you'll believe anything from the psychology of money, Morgan Housel says, appealing fictions and why stories are more powerful than statistics. And he says, there are two things to keep in mind about a story-driven world when managing your money. Number one, the more you want something to be true, the more likely you are to believe a story that overestimates the odds of it being true. And then number two, everyone has an incomplete view of the world, but we form a complete narrative to fill in the gaps. And how this applies to fitness, so number one, the more you want something to be true, the more likely you are to believe a story that overestimates the odds of it being true. This is sort of why there are so many different views on fitness, so many different tribes for how you are supposed to eat, how you are supposed to move. And the current one I'm in, I don't even know if it's right or wrong. It's this idea of reasonable fitness. That is something from Jason and Lauren Pack, just that. And also, like I mentioned Chael Sutton in an an earlier episode, but that idea that our Overall views of fitness have become distorted by things like social media, which shows outlier examples. The most popular examples are these outliers. Even if they are are natural, those examples will be popular and outliers. But it can seem like if you fill your feed with that, that can seem to be the norm. So I do like when people have these reasonable approaches. And then I'll even see it in myself where I'm going to seek out those sources and they will continue to reinforce the idea that doing something reasonable is the right way to go. And maybe the downside of that is it leads me to never work out hard enough and never to push myself because I'll pat myself on the back after a reasonable workout. The upside is hopefully that I don't get injured and I'm able to do this for the long haul. And then number two, Everyone has an incomplete view of the world, but we form a complete narrative to fill the gaps. So this can be that thing of often what you'll read in something where what they push for is to keep a food journal, keep a food log at least for something like a month so that you learn about macros and start to estimate and compare those estimates against the actual, um, yeah, like the actual numbers when you're able to weigh things, track things closely. Because what happens is a lot of people will do self-reporting on calories and that sort of thing. And then the estimates that they have are way off what the truth is. And you can see this where you'll see someone saying like, oh, I've been doing these workouts. I'm not losing weight. Or 
I've been following this eating plan. I'm not losing weight. It must be something else. And that's the idea of that. They have this incomplete view of things and they're only looking at one factor. And it may even be even just like focusing on that is incomplete because it's not tracked closely. So they'll fill in the gaps like or like create gaps in their mind of I'm following this plan. I'm definitely eating less than my maintenance calories. It must be something else. There must be some other gap when there's really not. And it's just that they're forgetting to track the snacks here and there. That can happen. And then just to close this out, I do always like to talk about the power of storytelling. And especially in fitness, stories are extremely powerful. Yes, the double blind research study is very important to continue to push science forward so that we know the truth. On the other hand, the Rocky movies have motivated way more people to work out. Even the science narrative is one that some people place value in and that they will only follow things that are scientifically backed. So it comes back to the same answer for probably all of these principles. You probably want to avoid the extremes where if you're only basing things on the latest studies, then you'll probably get some whiplash. And if you ignore those entirely, you'll only be eating raw eggs. The answer is somewhere in the middle. And next week, I'm going to get to the end. I've finished with the middle. Next week will be the wrap up numbers 19 and 20. Thanks for listening to the psychology of fitness. And it is the new year when this is going to be published. So happy new year. Hope everyone had a good holiday and is feeling refreshed going into 2023. Get after it.